Open your Bibles or your smartphones or other devices. We want to begin in Matthew uh, chapter 11 and verse 12. What we're going to do this afternoon is we lay, uh, there's two parts to this teaching. The first part is the biblical side. Uh, second part is stories, testimonies. And the reason for it is if you give the testimonies without the biblical side, people can say, well, that's just lying signs and wonders, but I trust your ability to discern based upon the fruit from the testimony, uh, whether it is or not. But if you give the biblical side without the testimony, people can say, well, that's true. That's what used to happen, but it doesn't happen anymore. So I, I try to balance this out between these two, these two parts. We lay the biblical foundation first and try not to get in too many stories, and then we'll just talk about stories in the second part. Uh, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12 Jesus said, the Bible says, um, Jesus said, from the days of John the Baptist unto now, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing forcefully and forceful people lay hold of it. There's something about the person that will not be satisfied with status quo. That is one who's laying hold of the kingdom, who's the make, putting demands on the kingdom, so to speak, that's believing for things in the kingdom, that's pressing into the kingdom. As a matter of fact, the title of this message is called Pressing In, and I hope you will be one of the ones who will press in uh, for more. Uh, I've seen sometimes large crowds and people get touched, but I've also been in meetings where there's 30, 50 pastors I was praying for. And out of that 30 to 50 pastors, there would be one that would be uh, receive an impartation that would be, make them literally a history maker. And uh, have a profound impact upon their country. Uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9 in the Revised Standard Version, it says, The eyes of God roam to and fro across the earth looking for someone through whom he can show himself strong. That's an amazing text to me that, to think about it, that the God of the universe would be looking for someone through whom he can show himself strong. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 and 2 we have the alpha course of the first century. We have the uh, foundational teachings. The uh, writer of Hebrews will talk, we'll call it elementary teachings. The, that which is the uh, very core, the key things, the most important things. And there are six uh, things that are listed there. And they are, uh, number one, repentance from acts that lead to death. Number two, faith in God. You can't get any much much more foundational and elementary than uh, repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God. Number three, the doctrine of baptisms. It's a plural. Three baptisms in the Bible. Number one is the baptism of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, which brings us into salvation. There it says, For by one Spirit we've all been baptized into the one body, whether Jew or Greek, bond or free, and we've all been given the one Spirit to drink. Then there's water baptism. And then there's uh, what Luke 3.16 talks about, that Jesus will be the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. All the Gospels refer to Jesus as the baptizer in the Spirit. So the first baptism, Luke, uh, 1 Corinthians 12.13, that evangelicals like to talk about, is the Spirit, is, it's a, we're born of the Spirit, and he, the Holy Spirit puts us into the body of Christ. <coughs> And the second one, uh, or third one anyway, is now that we're in Christ, 
Christ himself, Jesus, the baptizer in the Spirit, overwhelms us with the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, we find our first reference to the concept of a transference of anointing or a um, yeah, transference of anointing or impartation is Numbers eleven seventeen, And God spoke to Moses and said, Gather the elders together at the tent of meeting, and I will come down, and I will take of the Spirit that's on you and put it on them. It's all God's work. All Moses did was gather the elders together. And God said he'd do the rest, which he did. It's really interesting when he did this that uh, they were being selected to be the uh, help Moses govern the nation of Israel or the people of Israel. And they were to be, um, they needed especially the gift of wisdom. And uh, somebody got some water. Yeah, thank you. And, and, and so when they received the gift of wisdom, they also received the gift initially, the gift of prophecy. It's one of the things that's interesting. In the Bible, there almost always is something that deals with speech, whether it's tongues or preaching the Word of God boldly, uh, as in Acts 4, 29-31, or prophesying. There's something that deals with declaration and speech when people are filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. Notice in Numbers eleven seventeen, there is no laying on of hands. Uh, God just does it without any laying on of hands. But in the second reference to a transference of anointing in the uh, Bible is um, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 9. And there it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, received a spirit of wisdom because Moses laid his hands on him. So in the Old Testament, you have people who are receiving impartations or transference of the anointing, sometimes with the laying on of hands and sometimes without the laying on of hands. In 2 Kings chapter 2, around verse 9, Elijah asked Elijah, what do you want me to do for you when I'm taken up? And Elijah said, I want a double portion of the Spirit that's on you. Elijah said, you've asked for a very difficult thing, but if you're with me when I'm taken up, it'll be done to you even as you've asked. And so when the fiery chariot and the fiery horses come by, uh, Elijah doesn't take his eyes off of Elijah. And Elijah is caught up to heaven in a whirlwind. Now, I don't think we're talking about Dorothy and Toto and Kansas and a tornado here. We're not talking about a natural whirlwind. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 11, it says, speaking of the angels, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. He makes his angels winds. His servants, flames of fire. And what did he see in Elijah? Chariots of fire, horsemen of fire, horses of fire. And what would Elijah go up in? A whirlwind, which I believe was a, an angelic escort. And Elijah says, my father, my father. And, El and from um, Elijah, the mantle fell to the ground. This is a piece of clothing. This is the same piece of clothing that shortly before this event, Elijah had taken and smote the River Jordan when it was flood stage, and it separated, and they were able to go through on dry ground, a replication of the miracle that happened at the Red Sea. So what Elijah did is extremely important. I just want to encourage you. Don't go out of here saying, I got Randy Clark's anointing. Study the life of Joseph to find out why that's not a good idea. 
You will have brethren who will sell you into slavery very quickly. Secondly, what Elijah did is much better. So Elijah did not go and pick up the mantle, put it around his shoulders, and start strutting around bragging. I got Elijah's mantle. I got Elijah's mantle. <laughs> you guys didn't. I got it. Yeah, that's the way to make enemies. Instead, he picked it up. He went back over to the river Jordan, and he said, Where now is the Lord God of Elijah? And then he smote the river, and it parted. And the prophets, the other ones, they all said, Surely the Lord God that was with Elijah is now with Elisha. Let the others declare what you've received and similarities they may see. It will put you in good stead. And we turn, when we turn to the New Testament, uh, we find that there is both with the laying on of hands and without the laying on of hands, people being filled with the Spirit and receiving gifts of the Spirit. We start in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, there is no mention of laying on of hands when they are filled with the Holy Spirit and spoken tongues as the Spirit of God enabled them. You move to chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. Peter's prayed that God would give them, make them bold in their proclamation. And they're praying. And Peter basically says, God, that stuff that got me put in prison, got me, got me in trouble, give us more of it. Just stretch out your hand. Signs and wonders, give us more. And the place they were in was shaken. And they began to proclaim the word of God with boldness as the Spirit of God enabled them. It's a real interesting because both in English and in Greek, the sentence structure is exactly the same in Acts chapter 4 as Acts chapter 2 except in Acts chapter 2 when they're filled with the Holy Spirit they spoke in tongues the Spirit of God enabled them in Acts chapter 4 when they're filled with the Holy Spirit they spoke the Word of God with boldness as the Spirit, as the Spirit of God en enabled them now in and the reason why I'm talking about this is because, I, as I mentioned the other night, when I first met John Wimber, he heard the audible voice of God say, the first two times we met, both times, that one day God was going to send me around the world to lay hands on pastors and leaders to stir up and activate gifts and for people to be filled with the Spirit. And so I focus on laying on of hands only because that's what the Word of the Lord was. So I feel you know, I need to do what he said. But I do not believe that neither myself nor anyone else has to lay hands on a person for them to be filled with the Spirit or activated in gifts or whatever. But I do believe that even though it's not required, that God still today often will use this method, but He's not limited to it. Neither was He in the New Testament or the Old Testament because you see it in both ways. In Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 4, there's no laying on of hands by either time. But... What's really interesting, the teaching that there's one baptism and only one baptism that many Pentecostals hold to, I don't think is scriptural. Because um, for some of the people who was present in Acts chapter 4, they were present in Acts chapter 2. Matter of fact, quite a few of them. Which means they had two. There's more than one. Uh, I, I agree with... Um, there's some scholars like Clark Pinnock and others who, who talks about the language of baptism and filling are interchangeable. And so he said, well, you got one baptism, many fillings. He said, well, that really is, is twisting in the, the language of Scripture because in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, they don't even use the term baptized with the Spirit. They use the term filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is 
that there can be these, re, re, it can be a repeatable event. It's not something that's just a one-time thing. When you think it's a one-time thing, that's why many times it's very hard when I'm preaching to Pentecostals because their belief a one-time thing is that anything after this is going to be less than what they got the first time. But for many people, when I've talked to them, uh, what they received was actually sometimes even stronger than the initial uh, baptism uh, in the Spirit. So when we move from Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, the next passage would be Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is when Peter has uh, gone, or Philip has gone to Samaria, and uh, uh, he's preaching. They've received the word. They believe the word. They've been baptized. There's signs and wonders going on. There's great joy in the city, but the Spirit had not come, and the preposition is upon them. It's not, it's not in them or to them. It says the Spirit of God had not yet come upon them. And uh, so Peter and John are told that the Samaritans have received the gospel. Now, there's great prejudice between Jews and Samaritans to the point that many Jews would walk around Samaria rather than go through it because uh, they were seen to be half-breeds and less than full Jews and a lot of prejudice. And that's why it's this whole ministry of Jesus, the woman at the well, it's so important that he was reaching out to a woman and to a Samaritan and at a time that you really weren't supposed to. Um, and then the response of, the, of Peter and, I mean, James and John when they were in Samaria, uh, they want to, they're not listening to us. So, Lord, why don't you just, Come on, let us just give us a little power and authority here. Let us call down fire from heaven, burn them all up. Now, you think about it. Jesus' experiment with these 12 is, is not going too well yet. <laughs> That's interesting. They, the thuns of thun, sons of thunder become, one of them becomes the apostle of love later on. But uh, so what does Jesus do? When the disciples are making wrong decisions and saying things they shouldn't, and uh, he, he just thinks, wow, this is going well. Let's, let's send out 70 more of them. Oh, we'd, we, we'd, we'd, we'd work another six or ten years on these 12 before we'd start on another. Then maybe they'll be ready to go. Uh, Jesus released quickly. It's amazing how quickly he released in comparison to how slow sometimes uh, people are released today. Um, we release people pretty, pretty quick. I just came back from, from uh, Youth Power Invasion in Brazil. We had 150 approximately uh, people 13 to 29 years old. The majority of them were under 23. Uh, we had a 13-year-old no, teaching in one of those uh, churches on how to have words of knowledge and how to pray for the sick. Uh, Nick Billman is his son. His dad is one of our missionaries, went to our school and was sent out. And uh, it's the 13-year-old kid. He's so excited. Uh, where else do you find ministries that will release people this young to preach and teach and do all the ministry? And on those particular trips, if you're over 29 years old, you can't preach or teach. All you can do is chaperone. The ministry's done by them. I remember the first time we went, 
to a, a city, I believe it's Londrina, Brazil. Uh, we told them we'd like to come back next year and do it again. And they said, well, you know, this is a wonderful thing you're doing with these young people. So, but we don't want to hog the blessing, so to speak. We don't, we don't want to. We want to share this blessing with other cities in Brazil. And so next year, you, you should probably go to, an, to another city because we don't want to take all this blessing for ourselves. That's before the kids ministered. At the end of the second week, there had been 8,000 healings that had happened on that two-week trip. And so we, my, my, my uh, staff person met with the pastors again. They said, listen, uh, why don't you reconsider this and come back next year, uh, you and the youth, and, and do it again here? It was indicating they were not expecting the kids to be used like that. They were expecting it to be pretty weak. And they were shocked that what God did with those young people. Uh, so in, in Acts 8, Peter and John come down because there's this prejudice. And one of the reasons I think the Spirit had not yet fallen in a visible way upon them was because God wanted to make sure that there wouldn't be a Jewish church that's founded on the Jews and in a half-Jewish church, the Samaritans, but they have no relationship. So he makes sure that though this deacon evangelist, Philip, has been used, he wants them to be, have the authentication of the apostolic stamp of approval. So God waits till the apostles gets there so that there will be this unity between the Jewish church and the Samaritan church. It's going to be one church and and as they're laying hands on people it is when they lay hands on them simon the sorcerer who was uh and i i just really really don't like in translation it calls him simon the magician or the magicians of egypt you know as if it's sleight of hand stuff that's going these people worked in the black arts they moved in demonic power there really is it's not Smoke and mirrors, as the Bible answer man says. There really is power in the demonic realm. And he was called, he was so powerful, they called him the great one. So he saw what Philip could do. And, and by the way, that's the whole thing. Don't be so scared of the new age. Because all they are is the next people group God's getting ready to bring into the kingdom of God. Because they're actually hungrier than many people. And they know, in the, they know there's a real reality in the spirit realm. And when they come into the church, they're, they're going to understand. They're not going to be cessationists because they've seen the other side. And they're going to know they came to this side because like Simon, they saw the greater power in the name of Jesus. And so he switched sides. But, and, 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 and he gets a little bit of a bad rap and Peter's a little hard on him, I think, because he says, I want to give you money so that whoever I lay my hands on will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he knew that was happening. Something was happening they could see. Now, it doesn't say what it was. I think it's unfair to say, well, it has to be tongues because, you know, that's the sign. Well, if it's, Luke could have told us very well he started speaking in tongues again. So if he really wanted to solidify that's the sign, he could have said, and they spoke in tongues. But he doesn't. And this, he doesn't tell us what they did. But whatever was happening, it wasn't something that you had to take it by faith on. I want to tell you one of the biggest hypocritical things I've ever seen in my life. 
it's most evangelicals really don't like word of faith and are really negative on word of faith. And uh, he asked somebody that's in a word of faith church. They got a, say they got a knee problem. How's your knee? And they say, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with my knee. I'm healed. And I used to make fun of that myself when, before I knew better, before I really understood what they were saying. It was not a sensory denial. It's confession of a truth they think is even more important than the reality. They know that knee's doing that. So, so we get upset with them. They said, well, that could cause someone to confess something that's not really happening. It needs to happen. And then they turn around and say, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a confession that may not yet have been a manifestation. But even in word of faith, they're confessing a truth, but they still want it to manifest. And many of our churches have people who are really negative on that, but they're doing the same thing in regard to salvation and being filled with the Holy Spirit. I said the words, I said the prayer, therefore it had to happen. When there's no inner witness, Paul said, did you receive the Spirit through works of the law or by faith? He's talking about salvation here. He's talking about the receiving the Spirit for regeneration. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by faith? Now, that question doesn't make sense if there's not an experience of receiving the Spirit by faith. See, if, I'm not saying we don't receive by faith, but I'm saying once we've received by faith, we don't have to take it by faith. We have received it by faith, but it is a reality. But many say, I prayed the prayer, therefore it's happened. It's the same kind of theology that word of faith has for healing. But at least they say, it's not manifested yet, but I'm waiting on it to manifest. It's mine potentially. I'm waiting on a manifestation. But in evangelicalism, so much of the time, they're not waiting on any manifestation. They're not waiting for anything that is laying hold of the reality which they talk. I remember one time I was in Moscow, and I was uh, walking... Uh, from a college for sports. And we'd gone there, and my worship team had sang in Russian. And this one guy is curious. He came. He realized this is Christian words. Sounds like rock and roll, but it's a Christian song. So he's curious. He's walking back to him in his mile of a hotel. And it's about a mile walk or so. And he's got a fifth of vodka in his hand. He's carrying Russian currency on him. And uh, he, he's, you know... He's sober, but he's pretty good mood. And uh, he, he says he's got broken English, and he's never heard the gospel. He's grown up under uh, communism. And uh, this is when the wall first come down shortly afterwards. And he said, uh, I want to know about Christianity. And so I'm trying to explain the Christian faith to him. We walk all the way, get to the center, and I'm not making headway. And... He just can't understand it. So finally, I get a word of wisdom. And uh, I said, do you believe that that vodka in that bottle will make you drunk? He says, duh. He had a lot of experience. 
And I said, you really believe that vodka and that bottle make you drunk? Duh. I said, are you sure that that, that vodka in that bottle will make you drunk? Duh. So I said, uh, I'm going to ask that again. Do you believe that vodka in the bottle will make you drunk? Ha, 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 ha. I said, okay, then you tell me what has to happen to the vodka in the bottle for it to make you drunk. He said, I got to get it out of the bottle and get it in me. I said, well, when it's no longer in the bottle and when it's in you, is it self-authenticating or do you need to take it by faith? He said, or I said, or do you need somebody to tell you that it's in you? He said, nobody has to tell me. I said, why? He said, because I feel the effects of it. And then I said, sir, in America, we call alcohol spirits. But there is a Holy Spirit of God. Much more powerful than the effects of the spirit of, spirits in alcohol. And when this almighty God comes inside of you, nobody is going to have to tell you to take it by faith. Because once faith has laid hold of it, the experience is real and you will feel the effect of being born again. And it made sense. But we have filled our churches up with people that have prayed a one-sentence prayer, raised their hand, done something, but there's no internal witness. This, this question Paul asked doesn't make sense unless the reception of the Spirit is experiential. It is the experiential nature of it that makes the question have validity. Otherwise, it, it's, it's, uh, you won't know. I mean, you just wouldn't know if you've even received the Spirit by faith. If, you re, if it's, you're still waiting by faith on something to know that there's been something happened. So, Peter and John came down. They laid hands on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. We go to chapter 9. Uh, Ananias goes to Saul, who will later become Paul. And he's seen in a vision that he's going to come to him. God spoke to Ananias, worked out this divine appointment. And he goes and said, I, I, I've been told to come and lay my hands on you that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He lays his hands on him, begins to pray for him. The scales fall off his eyes, receives his sight. And then he's told to re, uh, repent, calling on the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins. And I think that's in the latter chapter uh, where Paul's telling the story over. And he does, we do know that Paul received, and he received. Really interesting. It's the only, uh, I think it's the only time in the book of Acts that someone receives uh, the, the impartation of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, uh, filling with the Spirit, when someone other than an apostle lays hands on him. And what's interesting is this becomes the most famous apostle in the New Testament. And no apostle lays hands on him. It's a layman. A Christian. Without office. Is used. 
So to teach that only apostolic people can be used for this is not right. I remember when I came home from having been had had had, had hands laid on me in uh, Tulsa through Rodney Howard Brown, and all heaven broke loose that morning. The next time I met with all my key leaders, uh, all my cell leaders, I said to them, I'm going to lay hands on all of you. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm believing God is going to give you an anointing to carry. And this week, I want every one of you to teach the scriptural basis. I'm showing, I, I gave them some, an outline. I want you to teach this, and then I want you to lay your hands on every. And by this way, we'll hit at least 80% of the church in one week. We'll have hands laid on them. And God used them. God used them. It just wasn't God using me. It was God using them. I shouldn't, I'm getting off on a story, but I can't help it. Uh, I, Pastor Aloysio Silva in Goiânia, Brazil, has a, a church called Videra. Uh, when I went to our meeting the first time, it was three years old, it had 3,000 people. Now it's about 30-some-thousand, overseas 500,000. They've got other, other churches they've started. And the last time I was there, he, he said, do you see that woman over there? I said, yes. I said, her name is, she said, her, he said, her name is Hoochie. Now, that's not a nice name for a, a woman, but you have to understand in Portuguese, uh, R's at the beginning of a word have an H sound. And you can't end a word in a consonant. So in Brazil, I'm Hanji Clarky. And my friend who used to travel with me, my daughter-in-law's dad who used to travel with me, his, he is Hex. So, his name is Rex, so I call him Hex. So, when we were together, we were a Hangy Hex. So, and, uh, but anyway, he said, her name is Hoochie, which is Ruth. Ruth, they don't have a TH sound. Like Bethlehem is Belain. There's no th sound in the language. And, and so, that's Hoochie. We call her the little Randy Clark. I said, what? Because I, I literally prayed for at least 2,000 the last time I was there one night. And it went, it went to like 1 o'clock in the morning. They followed me all the way out, even through a ch across the chat driveway to the, the building to get something to eat at. They're still lining up. And so I prayed for all the leaders and all um, so many of the people. And as a matter of fact, uh, it service was going late, and I was going to start the message at 11 o'clock at night. And it was one-hour message translated made it two hours so i said listen we're not going to get done to uh, one in the morning if you can't stay to one we're going to sing a song leave because i don't want you leaving while i'm preaching so either you decide to stay stay to one if you can't stay to one and i know many of you can't because you got babysitters and stuff and no no issue no guilt no shame or anything but but you should leave now during the song so about half the church left we had about three thousand left this church would seat six thousand and, uh, and it was an amazing night. And I prayed for so many people. But this woman, here's the point. She was not a leader. She was not a pastor. Wasn't one of the zone pastors. Wasn't one of the uh, district pastors. She, she wasn't a pastor. She was, had no office at all. And yet, they called her the little Randy Clark because they said 
She got the strongest anointing. More people falls down when she prays than anybody. More people shake. More people cry. More people laugh. More people get healed. More people receive gifts. She has the strongest gift of everybody you prayed for. She has the strongest gift of anybody in the whole church. It's just God's way of making sure everybody understands this all comes by grace. Not by office or who's the best. As a matter of fact, when God came in my church... Two of the people he touched the most powerfully, one was backslidden, and the other one was only really saved one day. He'd been on my board seven years. But Robert Morris had come, a young guy, uh, and my church seat 150 people. And he'd come, and this guy realized he was really lost, wasn't really saved. He said, I was, I've been your convert for seven years. Last night I became convert to Jesus. I'll tell you about him later. So in Acts chapter 9, through the laying on of hands, Paul receives. In Acts chapter 10, Peter comes with a divine appointment that got through an angel and, um, and, and visions and all this stuff to put this divine appointment together. And he's speaking to Cornelius, which is a God-fear, which is a Gentile that accepted the, the, the God of the Jews, the moral code of the Jews, and uh, a tenant synagogue but wasn't yet a full Jew because he hadn't received circumcision. And they were called God-fearers. It was a special class of Gentile. And as Peter's there, and, the, and by the way, um, the, the text says, the angel said to him, he will, Peter will bring you a message by which you will be saved. That's future tense. And so as Peter is bringing the message by which you will be saved, he was a righteous man. In a sense, as he was very religious in his, and, and behaved in a righteous way. But he wasn't saved yet because the, the angel said, he'll get, bring you a message by which you will be saved. Now, I know A.T. Pearson and, and, um, wrote a book about this because I've read it. And he was a Greek scholar uh, in uh, Canada and had been Presbyterian until he was one of the earlier Pentecostals leaders. And he said, the word saved can be made to, mean, to be made whole. And in this sense, it wasn't really that he wasn't saved. He already was saved. And, uh, uh, but I personally disagree with that. I, I believe that the simplest meaning of that text was he's going to bring you the message by which you'll be saved. Because he was leaving, li living between the old, old covenant and new covenant being introduced in that interim time. And uh, so Peter comes and he, he gets to the part about how God's going to save, you know, like, and all of a sudden, him, Cornelius, his household, and they all began speaking tongues. Nobody laid hands on them. Nobody touched them. God just did it, and they are speaking in tongues. And I believe they did that so that the people would know, just as the Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, the way it was a sign, it was now a sign again that God is accepting Gentiles, God-fearers, into the church and Peter actually said obviously God has accepted him whom I withhold baptism for those he's accepted he baptized he's called on the carpet he gets in trouble he goes back and he's and he's meeting with the church and he's having to rehearse why he had done this and that's why he took people with him he needed eyewitnesses because I mean he he hadn't taken what is the name of that course uh 
How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. He had not taken the Carnegie course because he starts out, you all know that it's not right for me, a Jew, to come into a house of a Gentile. I'm not even supposed to be here. I mean, he was, he was just in your face. Uh, I don't think that wins friends and people saying that, but God accepted him. Now, when we get from, from that passage to our next passage is 19, Acts 19. Uh, they're called disciples. We talked about this yesterday, so I won't go into it, except I don't believe they were born again yet. And Paul, when they baptized them, now they are. Now they have come to the fullness of the gospel, and they have understood, and they have committed their life, and, and they're baptized. But they have, and I believe when that had happened, they already have received the Spirit. They're born again. They were regenerated by their faith, and, and in bat, or if, if you know, like restoration, or at least in baptism, which I think... It can be before baptism, but I think every Christian in the, in, the, in the biblical time, it would be unheard of to think that you would not accept baptism. Baptism in the New Testament is the way you repent. It is the way you show your faith. It is your statement of faith. In the walking down the aisle is not, the sta- is not confession of faith. Confession of faith is actually in baptism in the New Testament. So when we separate it, we're actually not following the biblical manner. Do I believe that then we're born again through baptism with regeneration? No, I don't. I believe we're regenerated by faith. Sometimes, though, in the New Testament, that faith and expression, commitment was shown in baptism. We've kind of separated it, and people uh, are born again sometimes long before they're baptized. And I wanted to be, I wanted to be baptized in the river. It was too cold. And finally, I waited so long... Uh, I, I ended up getting baptized in the baptistry. But I was saved before then. But it wasn't really the following the New Testament model as much. If we were, you know, just talking about it. Uh, so when he baptizes them, they're now Christian. This is the one that evangelicals, uh, if Acts chapter 10 won't fit Pentecostal theology, Acts chapter 19 won't fit evangelical theology. You say, well, which theology is it? Well, let's get biblical in our theology, which means that God has great, much greater diversity than our denominations have allowed for. And we need, need this diversity that, okay, your experience is not the same as mine. That's okay. There's a lot of diversity in the New Testament. Yours doesn't have to be like mine. Mine doesn't have to be like yours. That doesn't mean mine's invalid or yours is invalid. We can celebrate what's going on. But the issue is, have we had and do we have the assurance that we have uh, um, been filled with the Spirit? There's a book about by um, Leonard Wood. He's a professor at Asbury Seminary, and it's called The Meaning of Pentecost Among Early Methodists. And it's just all these personal letters from John Wesley to George, to, uh, George Whitfield and to John Fletcher and to Charles Wesley, and the Fletchers eventually be his wife. And it's all these letters, personal letters. And Wesley almost kicks Fletcher out, who he was going to turn the Methodist movement over to because he thought Fletcher was teaching that you were um, not saved by faith, uh, not justified by faith, but it, there had to be some um, experience. And Wesley said, no, we are saved by faith 
And he also believed faith should have an experience. But he said, if you say, you know, you're not saved until you have this experience, then I'm going to kick you out. And now having said that, Wesley balanced it by this. He said, but if you want to have assurance of salvation, and he said, salvation comes by faith. But if you want to have full assurance of salvation, you need to be sanctified, which was a second definite work of grace following the moment of your believing. It was something that was powerful. You knew the Holy Spirit had come upon you. He said, that is what gives you full assurance. But it doesn't affect it. Faith is what affects it. But if you want to make sure your faith was genuine, full assurance is found in the subsequent work of the Spirit. Now, I'm, I'm just sharing some things with you. Now, having looked at the book of Acts, when we turn to the rest of the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul wrote to Timothy, Do not neglect the gift you receive through a prophetic utterance when the body of elders laid their hands on you. When did he get it? When the body of elders laid their hands on him. Probably this was his ordination. Uh, in 2 Timothy 1.6, he said, Fan in the flame the gift you received through the laying on of my hands. Both of them talks about laying on of hands. This doctrine of baptisms was followed by, um, by number 4 in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, the laying on of hands. This was a doctrine. This laying on of hands was an elementary teaching. What was it for? Baptism, I mean, identification like in Leviticus 16, high priest laid his hands on the goats and the sins of the people placed on the goat. Blessing, you, uh, they asked Jesus to lay his hands on the children, bless the children. Healing, you shall lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover. But also impartation. This is the one that much of the church has trouble with and even some Pentecostal denominations have written things that say we don't believe in this anymore. Assemblies of God have a... They have a um, they have a um, what's the statement on this, and which was really pretty negative. You go there and read it, uh, and it's really just a reaction to the latter rain that they're still reacting to. Now, so in the laying on of hands, one of the things was also, in, in addition to being filled sometimes by the Spirit, but gifts being activated. We see it in the two verses I just read. We see it also in the most doctrinal of all of Paul's writings, the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 11. I wanted to come to you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. This, I went through four years of college, majored in mine, took all my electives in religious studies, three more years of seminary, in a General Baptist College in a Southern and the Southern Baptist, the mother seminary of all Southern Baptist seminaries, <laughs> the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. <laughs> and I never heard one teaching on the laying on of hands. Not one. I was a pastor almost 14 years before I heard anything about laying on of hands and yet these are what the writer of Hebrews calls the elementary teachings the foundational teachings we're not going to go on uh, he said we're, we're not going to lay again the elementary teachings but we're going to go on to the more you know deeper but he said, these elementary teachings I'm not going to lay again and he tells then he lists them out here are the six elementary teachings 
And you say, well, what was the other two? Uh, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment were the other two. So I'm focusing right on this one, on two of the more elementary teachings. This, see, this is not peripheral. Matter of fact, I got in trouble in seminary. I wrote, I asked permission if I could write on healing. I had a course on the book of Acts. And they had 50 subjects you could write your term paper on. And I went to him and said, you know, healing is in the book of Acts. But it's not even on that, on the option. Will you give me permission? I want to write on healing. He said, I'll give you permission, but you can't write any anecdotal stories. You can't tell your story. You've got to do real research. I said, okay. The seminary I went to had the world's largest theological library in the world. It's the largest one. I couldn't find hardly anything on healing at that time. I finally found a book on healing at the Presbyterian Seminary across the road. And so I'm finding all this evidence in, his, in the history of the church called Healing and Christianity by Morton Kelsey. And I'm writing it. And I get to the conclusion. And I said something to this effect. I refuse to bow my knee to a God who cannot answer prayer. I refuse to bow my knee to a God who doesn't have the power to heal. I refuse to bow my knee to a God that doesn't have the power to deliver. If our view of God is this weak, then why don't we stop studying theology and start studying psychology and anthropology? Now, when I met with my teacher, that was just part of what I said in the conclusion. When I met with him, we sat down and he said, I want you to know I've never written so much on a student's paper in my history of, of teaching. I realized that you hooked me by your conclusion. And he, I've still got this paper. And it's got like holes. He turned the page over and right clear across the back. And he said, I've never. And he said, I want to tell you something. The guy didn't know he's a prophet. I mean, he didn't know he's a prophet. He said, I'm going to tell you this. You wrote. In class, you don't seem to be argumentative. You seem nice. But in this paper... If you teach what you wrote here, you're going to get in trouble with the Baptist. He was prophetic. And his word came true. It did not fall to the ground. But he also said this, you wrote this paper as if healing was central to the gospel. But it's not. It's only peripheral. And I said, I disagree with you. As I read, there's no way... I can study these scriptures and come up thinking healing is peripheral to the gospel. I just want to say to you today, I'm much more convinced today than I was then that healing is central to the gospel. And healing is central to discipleship. So, now, having hopefully laid down some biblical uh, foundations, I want to go ahead and tell the stories. Uh, there was a Baptist. Since I'm in Texas, I'm going to talk a lot about Baptist. One out of four people in Texas I heard was a Baptist. I don't know if it's still the case or not, but it used to be that way. And uh, anyway, there was this Baptist. He was the, uh, uh, going out and starting a new church, and he was being sent out by the oldest Baptist church in Argentina, Del Centro Baptist Church. And uh, he came up to me, is this when Anna Condi and I were doing 
alternating meetings at this church. And he came up to me and said, his name is Marcella Diaz. He said, Randy, I want you to pray for me. I said, Marcella, I've already prayed for you three times tonight. He said, yes, but Rodney prayed for you five. I said, okay. I prayed for him. The first three, first three times he just fell to the ground. This time I prayed for him. And it's like the Holy Spirit knocked him back. And he walked and went back like this, you know, several steps, hit the floor. And he's shaking like a fish out of water. I went over to him and I said, Marcella, tomorrow Sunday, pray for every sick person in your church. Marcella had never had one healing in his life before that prayer. The next morning, he had a little church just getting started, about 40 people in it. The next morning, he prayed for every sick person in the church, including one woman, four-stage cancer. Everybody gets healed. Over the next two to three weeks, I'm going throughout six more cities working for Omar Cabrera. I'm at, he called, Marcella calls me. I'm at the airport. He says, Randy, where are you at? I said, I'm at the airport. He said, well, <clears throat> when's your flight? I told him. He said, I'm going to try to get there. Time for you to pray for me again. I said, Marcella, I don't think that's a good idea. You're probably, if I pray for you, you're probably going to fall on the floor and you're going to make a lot of noise and you get us in trouble. <laughs> and I want to make sure I get home. He said, Randy, I don't care what anybody thinks about me anymore. All I care about is what God thinks. And I want to tell you, since you prayed for me these last two to three weeks, I've been going all over. And God is coming and healing people, and I want more. I said, all right, you get here in time, I'll pray for you. So he got there in time. I prayed for him. I was right. He fell on the floor again. He shook, and he's making all types of noise. And I just walked off like I didn't know him because I'm, 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 I'm going to get there. I'm going home. Today, Marcella has one of the largest churches in Buenos Aires. We were in another church. It's 150 people. White little church on the wrong side of the tracks down a dirt road. And this guy's a traditional Baptist, but he's become hungry. He wants to see if this is really God or not. He invited some other Baptists to come. There's two or three buses out there. And uh, we had this meeting. God showed up. It was so powerful. After three days, I stayed an extra day and let somebody else go to the next place. It was just really powerful. Associate pastors of his church got healed. Got healed of psoriasis, was genetic, never had it again. There were people being healed. He said later, he said, people were being healed in the bathroom, in the halls, outside, because there's outside surrounding the church trying to listen to the windows. We had a man that was carried in over, like on an old $3 and a half, three and a half dollar lawn chair that lays down you know one of the little ones I'm talking about there's no room I don't where they're going to put him there's no room in here he got healed I went back the church is on the other side of the tracks on the right side of the tracks on the main drag this is not the right we're, we're at the wrong place but it was the church had grown to 3,000 God came healing took place the other pastors are, Baptist pastors are getting in touch with him and says well, they would. They, they did it several times. But anyway, I'll tell you, finish that in a moment. So I go back like a year or two later, and we see so much healing. But one thing that's bothered me is that people got healed. They're, they don't come back. 
And I just don't understand that. Why wouldn't people come back after they had these? I mean, we're talking cancer disappearing, you know, blind eyes opening, deaf ears, huge stuff, terminal. Um, one, one, one time a woman had a, uh, um, a, a boy, a young guy, 25 years old. He had uh, an aneurysm burst on the operating table, and he went paralyzed on this side and deaf in this ear. We see him get healed. In the same series of meetings, there's another person that had an aneurysm in the brain. Uh, and, and had gone blind, and she gets healed. Another guy had a big tumor in the brain, and he couldn't walk more than four or five steps before he'd pass out, and he gets healed. A boy came with, had his uh, club foot where he had, his foot was turned upside down, and he had calluses on the top, which is now the bottom, and he, he brought a pair of tennis shoes with him, believing he was going to be healed, and the woman that prayed for him was on my team. Every person she prayed for that uh, two weeks got healed because she had been dying and was in hospice and she got healed in the United States and went to a cessationist church. After a while, they made her leave. <laughs> and she watched that foot turn around like this because said, she said, what do you want? He said, I want to be able to run. I brought tennis shoes. <laughs> and the boy, boy run. So this is an amazing church. So when I get, why don't they come back? So I talked to Pastor, better, I just don't get it. They don't come back. He said, well, they can't come back. I said, why not? He said, my church has grown to 9,000. It only seats 2,200 people. We divided it into fourths. You only get to come one time. And it was the most amazing thing. Next time I went, I told all, I saved the church for last because I thought, let's end on the crescendo. This is the best place in Brazil to go for miracles is this Baptist church. And... Uh, um, uh, and I said, uh, guys, this is going to be great. Well, when we get there, it's only 80% full. It's not even full. And it was like hard first night. Now, second night, it was just went crazy on the second night. But the first night was extremely hard. I met the pastor the next day and said, something's wrong. I told my uh, assistant, my spiritual son, Ed, I said, something's wrong. Pastor must have done, made a, he must have done something wrong because it wasn't even, it wasn't even full. So we met the pastor and said, Pastor, what's going on here? It felt like these people didn't know who I was. It's like starting all over. He said, well, you did. You had to start over last night. I said, what do you mean? He said, my church kept growing, so I started 23 churches out of my church this year. And I didn't know which of those 23 churches to invite in, so I didn't invite any of them in. Because these are all new people. They've never heard you. But the second night, it just kind of really was, was great. Great miracles. A wave of healing went across the whole thing. Anyway, um, so in that meeting, there was this uh, guy came. He was a warden of prison. And his name was Marcelo, another Marcelo. And I prayed for him. And a year later, he came back. He said, let me tell you what happened to me when you prayed for me. He said, oh, yeah, tell me. He said, you prayed for me. The guy, he, he's a bodybuilder. His, his leg, his arms here look like this, that big. I mean, he's a huge guy. He looked like Hulk, you know, and when he's green. And uh, so I, I looked at him, and he's, I said, yeah, I believe that. No man's going to knock you down. He's so huge. He said, I wept and wept and wept. He said, in the next year, since I saw you last year, I've prayed for 200 prisoners that's been healed and I led them all to Jesus. Then we had a guy get shot seven times in the chest in a, in a riot. 
I went to the hospital, but he was already dead. I could see the monitor through there, and it wasn't going. It was just flat line. I, and I turned around and started to walk away because the doors locked anyway. And the wife saw me. She opened, had the doctor open the door and had me come in and said, I want you to pray for my husband. I said, I've never prayed for a dead person in my life. Didn't know what to do. Freaked me out, scared me. But anyway, I, I, I did. I went in, laid my hand on him, began to pray for him. And after a while, beep, beep, beep. Since then, he'd also raised his nephew, got healed in a, in a, in a, got killed in a car accident. And his his uh, sister, who didn't believe this story, he's been telling him, hey, you've told me about that guy. This is your own nephew. Now get down here to the hospital and raise him. And it did happen. Then he said, but I got demoted. I got busted down from warden to just a correctional officer. Demoted in man's kingdom, but I got promoted in God's kingdom. I started a church, and I got my own church now. Name is Marcella. God likes the name Marcella. I hope we have a Marcella here today. He really likes the name Marcella because I was at uh, uh, another another church, and there was this in San Paulo. There's this uh, Baptist guy. He's got a church of 600 average tenants, and his name is Marcella Casagrande. And uh, uh, I started praying for him. God touched him. Knocked him in the floor. He got up and he began to have healings. His church starts to grow. Comes back and, and he's seeing good things happen. And when he first came there, he didn't like it because we were at a uh, four square, quadrangular church. And uh, they were noisy and they were <laughs> shaky. And he's thinking, why can't these people just be still and know that I'm God? Why do they have these Pentecostals? Why do they have to get so loud? Why do they have to be so extravagant? And especially, I don't like this shaking. I've got my deacons here. They're going to see the shaking. It's going to be bad. And as he's not liking it, he starts shaking. His leg <laughs> starts shaking. He grabs this leg to try to get it to stop. And his whole body starts shaking. On the way home, the deacons had to drive him home. Had to carry him to the car. Put him in the car. Drive him home. Because his leg wouldn't... St- Stay on the gas pedal. They brought him back the next day. Same thing happened. This time when they take him home, they have to carry him, put him in bed. And he can't get out of bed for three days and nights. Doesn't eat, doesn't drink. He's fasting and he's weeping. Now he did not have, he already was a charismatic. He already had a prayer language. But he had never had healings. And he's never had an experience like this. He's overwhelmed by the presence of God for three days and nights. And all he can do is weep. When God touched Blaine Cook, he was six, three or six months of just weeping. He said, after that three days, I went up, went to the, went, got, I was hungry, went to the bakery, got a word of knowledge, never had a word of knowledge before, prayed, woman gets healed, went to the bake, book, butcher, gets some meat, prayed, guy gets healed. He said, I'd never seen that all over the place. One year later, he comes to another meeting. We pray for him. This time, he's standing there at the front, and his hands are just covered with liquid. And I asked him to rule out natural do your hands sweat do you have a problem with your hands sweating too much he says no and that's when i yelled everybody this man is getting a miracle anointing right now he falls on the floor shaking ed my spiritual son is about 40 years old 
He takes his watch off, puts it on him. It's a prophetic act and said, it's time. God is going to send you to every nation in Latin America. He had never, never been out of Brazil. Within 12 months, he's been to every country in Latin America. He's had over 100 deaf people. This is two or three years ago. He had over 100 deaf people healed. Over 100 blind people healed. Over 60 people walk out of wheelchairs. He kept keeping track once he had 100 tumors disappear. He literally does move in a powerful miracle anointing. I was going one day. I was, I was in the basement of a mission church in Norway, in Haugesund, Norway, which is the same as an evangelical free church in the United States. It's, that's just the different name, but the same group. And this guy who's my translator is being groomed to be the next president of the denomination in Norway. But he got blacklisted after being my translator. <laughs> and he didn't get to become the president. He had an MDiv from um, um, Trinity, Evangelical Seminary in Chicago, where he had his MDiv from. And, I don't know, DMIN from, I mean. And, uh, so this, so I'm in line, and I'm going down this line praying for people. And it's the land of the midnight sun. It's summertime. So I'm up at this time in Trondheim, and I'm praying, which is way far north. It never gets dark all night long. It, you know, doesn't get dark. And so I'm going down the line. I'm praying for this guy. And I get to him. And I said, you know, you're closer to blonde than you are. You're but you're still not blonde enough. Oh, no, that's not blonde. That's gray. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, I get to this guy, and I said, I see you. You're in this dark place. All around you is darkness. And uh, God says, you're light. Now, and by this time, by the way, I didn't know I prophesied then. I thought I was just praying. It, it took me about six, seven years before I realized that people convinced me that I prophesied sometimes. I said, no, I get words of knowledge. I'm just praying. He said, quit saying that. Too many things come true. So I see, and God says, you're light. And you're going to become a bulldozer. He's going to make you a bulldozer. You're going to make a way where there's been no way. And I see a multitude of people coming out of darkness, following you in the light. And God knocks him down. And he shook for two and a half to three hours. Just waves of power going through his body. He's Baptist. And had one of the largest Baptist churches in Norway. Had about 250 people in it. That's big for Norway. Baptist and uh, so when he got up the next week we'd walk by people he'd get words of knowledge he'd get prophetic words you know what he's thinking he thought I thought I was going he said I thought I was going crazy he said everybody I prayed for I never had any healings been on the mission field before but never had any healings everybody I prayed for got healed that week but I didn't know how to interpret what you'd said to me so I didn't do anything got my neck broke and my back broke in the next 12 months I'm recuperating and as I'm recuperating in traction from one of those breaks, I start meditating on what had happened to me when you prayed for me. And I realize I need to resign as a pastor and start going to places where the gospel's not clear. And I did. And when I, my feet touched the soil of Pakistan, I found the land of my anointing. And now you can say, well, that's a lying sign in the Spirit. Well, tell the one million Muslims who've come to Jesus Christ through His ministry, through the miracles, and it was the miracles that caused them to come. I was in Oklahoma City. 
in a Pentecostal church, Assemblies of God, on the south. And there's only 30 people there. And there's no prophecy. I don't get any prophecy this time. I'm just going out, fail, 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 fail. They all fell down. I couldn't have told you by looking which one got the most. I couldn't tell. They all didn't have very many. I mean, there wasn't a lot of shaking or anything. Just, just kind of laying there still. Two months later, I go back to this Oklahoma City, and I'm in the north. And these people said, have you heard about that guy you prayed for last time? I said, no, I haven't heard about anything. He said, well, he was a missionary. He was a Pentecostal missionary. He already spoke in tongues. He already had a doctrine of healing. Nothing changed in his belief system. Sometimes our belief system has to change. His belief system didn't have to change. He already prayed for the sick, but... In the two months since you prayed for him, he's had more healings than the first 30 years of his experience as a missionary in Honduras. In two months, something happened to that guy. I was of Omar Cabrera down in uh, Santa Fe, Argentina. And uh, uh, Omar Jr. said, Randy, we have a, a hundred of our pastors and their mates right here lined up. I want you to go down. And I want you to prophesy over every one of them. I said, oh, I'd love to do that, but I can't. What do you mean? I don't have the gift of prophecy. I have the gift of word of knowledge. I can't prophesy. He said, I want you to prophesy. I said, I would if I could. Well, I want you to prophesy over every one of them. He said, did you not hear me? I said, I can't. I don't have that gift. He said, Randy, prophesy. I said, okay, let me ask you a question. How many of them know English? None. All right, I'll try. perfect situation for I said but you know the people I don't if I say something doesn't make sense or you think that's not right don't translate me I got a fail safe valve there you know it's just we get done he and I've only had this happen three times in my life but this is one of the three he said Randy we've had prophets come down that wasn't that accurate that's the most accurate we've ever had one of the guys I get to his name was Anibal who actually lives in Houston now. His name was Anibal Melchick or something like that. I got to him. I said, I said, uh, God's going to send you through all the 465 churches in the Vision, Vision de Futura here. And then he's going to send you to Canada. Then you'll go to the United States. And then you're going to go to Great Britain. And God's going to make you a minister of fire. And the power of God hit him, knocks him down. Then he shook. And that's all I knew for several years. And then he calls me through a translator and tells me, I did everything you said. I just went through all 460-some-odd churches and envisioned the future. I just left Canada. I'm in the United States. My next stop is Great Britain. You're my father. I want you to be my spiritual father. I had a lot of people at that time from Russia and Brazil Argentina for in six months time they'd all I wanted you to be my father I don't want to be your father I don't want to be anybody's father I like being an evangelist I don't want the responsibility of being anybody's father and I did that for like six months until I was in Hall, um, Ludenscheid Germany 
my friend and I and Heidi Baker and her assistant, we're having a little four of us praying together. And Heidi, all of a sudden, she reaches up. She's crying. She points her finger at me and says, Randy, God says you're like a man that's gone all over the world and you've gotten women pregnant on every continent and then you abandon your children because you're afraid of responsibility. Metaphorically speaking, of course. (laughs) And I wept. And I knew this was true because I had just told so many people. I told Bill Johnson that my network and Bill Johnson's network, both of our networks were started as a result of that prophecy. Because later he told me that word that you, Heidi gave you, it ricocheted off you and hit me too. That's how our networks got started. So anyway, back to Anibal. Today lives in Houston. Name of his ministry, minister, minister of fire. And what happened? He said, let me tell you what happened. The day after you prayed for me, I'm at home. An angel showed up in my room with a torch of fire. And it stuck that torch into my mouth, stuck it into my stomach. I fell out under the power of God. And for 20 days, I could not walk under my own strength. Two pastor friends would put me over like, like this. They would... Help me get into a church. I'd lift my hand up and whole sections would go out. I've never had that happen. See, you can give away more than you have in the kingdom. God can use you. The guy named Ananias lays his hands on the apostle Paul. And Paul got more than Ananias had. This is a biblical principle. You know, so... Don't tell me after a while what you want because I'm the donkey that Jesus sometimes rides into a church on. I'm the mailman, but I don't determine what gift you get. If you really want to ask for something, don't ask me. While, this, while I'm finishing up this message, ask God. Put your order in now to the one who can deliver it. And that's not me. <laughs> it doesn't do any good to him. Matter of fact, it doesn't do you any good at all because I don't even listen. Because... <laughs> Because I know it, I, I can't do it. God has to do it. So it doesn't do you any good. Tell me, tell him. <laughs> so anyway, the greatest one of all was Heidi Baker. And you all know that story. He ended up with, I told her that God was going to give her the nation Mozambique. God The blind would see, the deaf would hear, the lame would walk, and the dead be raised. God was going to give her the nation. In the next 18 months, everything everything went wrong. Everything went backwards. Everything was worse. She gets MS. Her husband gets cerebral malaria. Her daughter gets malaria three times. Her son's going through an emotional crisis. They lose $1 million been promised to them by a pastor and a church. They lose their buildings. They're confiscated. The orphanage buildings were confiscated by the government. Every person she prayed for who blindness, deafness, and, and lameness, none of them got healed for 18 months. The doctor said, if you go back to Mozambique, you'll die. And she says, I will not die. I have a prophetic word. God is going to give me the nation of Mozambique. If I have to preach from a wheelchair until he raised me up, I will. And she did. And she was healed through the prayers of orphans. 10,000 churches, 1 million people. Today I received an email from Henry Madava. wants Bill and I to come and minister there. First time I went to Henry Madava's church in Kiev, uh, there's this massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
words of knowledge were coming so strong I couldn't even preach because I couldn't think because they hurt him. Just, you know, couldn't keep concentration. And there's this, imp uh, there's only been three churches I've seen have a corporate, uh, receive a corporate anointing. Reading, my executive pastor's church uh, down in Inglewood, Florida, and Henry Madava's church in Kiev. The whole church received like an anointing. And uh, I went, uh, 10 years later, I go back and I asked him what's happened. He said, one million people have come to Jesus. And all over the world, I'm now doing crusades in Muslim countries, Hindu countries, Buddhist countries, Eastern Europe, Western Europe. Because he had been asking God for a God there. How do we reach the church, the cities of Europe, East and West? And the Lord has said, the way Jesus did, send out your disciples ahead of you, two by two. Send them into the marketplaces. Send them into the government. Send them into the hospitals. And he said, I didn't have the courage to do it. My church wasn't ready to do it. But after you came, I saw God be so faithful. And after I saw him touch my people, the next Sunday after you were gone, I came back in and I heard my people just buzzing, talking about they literally had started doing prophetic evangelism, praying for the sick. And God said, now they're ready. And so are you. Just three people, Heidi, Henry, and Leif, each have led a million people to the Lord since, through their ministries, since this happened. Why is this important? And because January 95, when I had the most healings I'd ever seen in my life in one month, together, more than a whole 24 years before that, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm in the basement of 400 pastors in the basement of this Lutheran church. And people are falling everywhere. Mahesh Shabda's wife, Bonnie, is a prophetess and a seer. She motioned for me to come over. She said, do you want me to tell you what I'm seeing? Yes, what are you seeing? When you started praying, hundreds of angels came in this room, your size, six feet tall. And they had a bag, and it's full of anointing. And they were strengthening the people. Now, whether or not, literally, that's just what she told me. I do know it's biblical that people can be strengthened by angels. Because Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, born of the Spirit, had spirit without measure. Twice, the Scripture says, he was strengthened by angels. And in John 1, 47 through 51, he says to Nathaniel, you shall see greater things than this in operation of a gift of uh, word of knowledge. You shall see heaven open. The angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And Nathaniel wasn't present for the two times it's mentioned. We know, so we know by that that it happened more than those two times. She said, as I continued to watch, Bonnie Shavda said, as I continued to watch, three angels came in. These three were not six feet tall. They were nine feet tall. And they didn't have a bag and they didn't come to strengthen. They went to only a few people. And then they got there, they opened up a scroll on which was written the new destiny for this person. And the angel declared into the spirit realm what was written on this scroll. And then took out, took out a stamp and stamped their foreheads. Hundreds came to bless. Hundreds came to strengthen. And in the Bible, there is this, it's often you'll see the entourage of God in the theophany, where God makes himself seen and known, often you'll see the angelic activity around it. But there are only three that came. 
And the stories I've been telling you today are not about the ones who were strengthened. We're talking about the ones who received commission. I believe the Lord wants to strengthen every one of you. It's possible that out of this group, there could be someone that would receive a commission and become a history maker. For 31 years, 10 years even before Toronto, I've been given an invitation about impartation. And I would, it's, it's basically what Blaine said at my church when he came, Blaine Cook, when he came from the vineyard to my church when I was a Baptist. He said, I don't want you to come forward because you want to come forward because all of you are going to want to come forward. And we need to see and honor what God wants to do. Because he said, I believe that if God wants to bless and strengthen all of you, some of you he wants to give a gift of healing to. And I believe that some of you will begin to feel the love of God to the point that you begin to just, just not sentimental crying, not sad crying, crying because the power of God's love has come upon you so powerfully, it's going to be a sign. He's going to use you. You may not, you may have that, or you may be all of a sudden feel so hot that you're breaking out with perspiration. I saw the new pastor of the uh, large Baptist church in Brisbane when he said, I'm going to go for God. He made that choice. He's just been in state as the new pastor. His father-in-law had been the pastor. He gets knocked down on the platform from his whole church. One hour later, there's not a dry thread on his shirt because he's sweating so much in an air-conditioned building. Nobody in that building sweating but him. And he's sweating so much, it's a supernatural heat that his shirt is literally wet, soppy wet from sweat from the supernatural heat of God. Why should we not think? When I prayed for Heidi, seven days a night, her experience lasted seven days and nights, and she felt like she had been instantly stuck in an oven and starts perspiring. The, the power was so strong, she says, God, you're going to kill me. He said, good, I need you dead so I can use you. So John said, my, I mean, Blaine said, if you begin to cry, if you begin to feel heat, if you begin to feel like your hands have gone to sleep, you've laid, like, lay on your arm and it goes to sleep and it starts waking up, it tingles, you know, go to the bathroom, stay too long on the pot, get up and your legs don't work at all. They start, they start tingling. I'm just being real here. I want, I want you to get the, the sensation of what I'm talking about. How you, you just, it's tingling. It's just, you, it's, it, you, nobody's got to tell you. You feel it. You see, you may feel that. Maybe so strong your hands start shaking. I want you to come to the front. So if you have the heat, if you have the crying, if you have the trembling of electricity, the energy in your hands, I want you to come to the front. Or if you feel the glory so strong that it's difficult to stand up, difficult, you feel the heaviness, I want you to come to the front. And a friend of mine named John in the back got his hand up like that and he said, that's a bunch of bull. Didn't believe it. God came on him and he came up the aisle just a little bit later, shaking, weeping, crying, saying, help me, Randy. It was God. Just come all the way up the platform. All at the platform. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we bless the people who are here, and we pray the Holy Spirit would fall upon them. In the name of Jesus, let there be a transference of anointing from my life to theirs. I pray for an activation of gifts of healing and other gifts of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, a transference from my life to theirs. In the name of Jesus, more, Lord. Let your power come. Let your energy flow. Watch him. In, in the name of Jesus. 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 More, Lord. More, God. More, Lord. We bless what you're doing. In Jesus' name. Fill them up. Fill her up, God. Fill her up, Lord. In the name of Jesus. More. Let power come out of their hands. In Jesus' name. God, let there be a release in Dallas. Release across the nations. In the name of Jesus. More, God. More, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, God. Release the anointing. Release your anointing, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. More, God. We bless them. Transference of anointing from my life to theirs, God. More, Lord. Fill them up, God. Fill them up, Lord. Fill them up, God. In the name of Jesus, multiply your power. Increase your anointing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. More, God. More, Lord. More, God. Fill them up. Fill them up. Fill them up. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you.